Good morning. You know, here, being here together on Family Missions Festival Sunday, kind of a mouthful, is, uh, is exciting primarily because we're, we're truly brought together by the fact that we are saved through Jesus Christ. And our mission, the commission to the world, is to bring that message so that others might join us in that sweet fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ, the oneness that is ours, the new life that is ours, the resurrection power through the Holy Spirit that indwells his church family is ours. And so this morning we celebrate the missionaries that have been able to join us today, and I hope that you will all take an opportunity to encourage them, stop by their booth, give them a word of encouragement. Before I introduce Scott and Cheryl Braden this morning, I do have some special news for you. This property that we've been on all these years, it is so precious to, the, to us. This property is about to be sold. The pins, so to speak, are actually in the air and ready to touch paper and complete the sale of this property. And that is a huge praise to the Lord. And we will let you know more. And in two weeks, on October 3rd, Celebration Sunday, we'll have a special presentation that will bring you up to speed on all the details. So continue praying, but praise the Lord. We have sold this property, and we are so grateful. Now, speaking of the Great Commission, Scott and Cheryl Braden have a, a mandate to love Jesus Christ and make him known to the world. And they have together begun a ministry of building people, building homes, and building schools where they are most needed. And this morning they're going to share with us as they bring us a message from the Lord and also tell us of the ministry that God has put on their hearts and that they are doing for the work of the Lord. So would you give a warm welcome to Scott and Cheryl Braden. Good morning, Grace. So privileged to be with you this morning. So grateful to be here with my best friend and ministry partner, Scott. I have a question for you, though. First, I have to remind you of what your identity is. Are you ready? You might have woke up this morning and thought something different about yourself, but I'm going to tell you who you are. Are you ready? Sons and daughters of the living God. That's us. Sons and daughters of the living God, I have a few questions for you, and they go like this. What is it that you see? What is it that you hear? What is it that you feel? And where are you going? What do you see with your eyes? What do you hear with your ears? What do you feel in your heart? And where are you going? This is the mission mandate. I think about missions, and I'm like, oh, I was so overwhelmed last night when I was praying for this morning. I thought... God, you have chosen to use your creation to make an impact on your creation. Like, he's like, you're going to be my ambassador. You're going to be my hands. You're going to be my feet. You're going to be my heartbeat to this world that I love dearly. 
And so we got this little picture thousands of years ago of what God thinks about his creation, about the heart of the Father for his humanity. And it started like this. There was this shepherd walking along in the desert thinking this is all his life was going to be. And as he's walking along like an ordinary day, he notices this burning bush. And the young kids could probably tell the story better than me in this group. But as he comes across this burning bush, it was a day that forever changed his life, forever changed his mission, forever changed how he thought, forever changed how he saw things and the things that he heard. And when God said, take off your sandals, because he had this moral mandate that he was going to place on Moses. And this is the heart of the father. In Exodus 3, it says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The heart of the father speaking to his servant Moses said, I have seen, I've seen what my people are going through. I've heard their cries in the middle of the night as they're doing the bricks, as they're under tremendous labor. I've heard their cry for help. And my heart is breaking. These are my people. My people need to be rescued. They were never intended to live in this state. God's like, I'm coming down to rescue them, but notice what he does. He says, so Moses, I'm sending you. Whatever bizarre reason, he's chosen you and me to be his hand. And he's like, I'm going to show you what I see. I'm going to let you hear what I hear, and I'm going to let you feel what I feel because there's a world out there that needs your handprint, that needs your thumbprint into their life. And I think about God leaving his place of beauty and his place of comfort to go into those uncomfortable spots, to go into those dark places, places that, that frankly, the Heavenly Father doesn't belong in because he's perfect. And he's like, that's where I want to go, and that's where I'm sending my people. I think about all the ministries that are represented here. I think about Grace Community, and this church has been an amazing church for missions that tells me that you understand the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father for his people And I know all of the missionaries would want to say this to you. Thank you for partnering with that. Thank you for understanding the heart of the Father. All the missionaries, if they could have time, they would tell you that they do what they do because they hear the cries of the people. I wish I could list it all. I know some of them well. The Care Pregnancy Center, they're hearing. They're hearing the the, the cries of the preborn. They see the pain of the mother and father. Campus life. Fellowships of Christian Athletes, they walk onto these public school campuses where most of us don't go, and they walk and they find that kid who's been home. God, I just need some help. I just need someone to walk alongside me. I need someone to go with me. The kids that that don't have parents in other countries of the world, these missionaries that you support, that make an impact, that, that provide a safe home for them, that provide them love and care, the Muslim population that you support, that that you have missionaries that are going in there and they're hearing, God, who's God? Who's God? I don't know who this God is. And you have these missionaries that are like, God has let me hear the cries of his people. God has let me see 
what they see, and his creation should never live in an oppressed state, should never live in bondage, should never live in slavery. And God says, I'm coming down to this world, and I'm going to change things. And the way I'm going to change them is I'm going to call all these people that have no clue what they're doing that can't speak, that can't talk, that can't write, that can't raise money, that can't build things, they don't have any platforms, and God's like, perfect. These are the people I'm gonna use. These are my people. I have heard their cries, I have seen their pain. My heart is breaking for what breaks their heart. God has come down and he's calling us, and each one of us, we leave a fingerprint, we leave a thumbprint on people's life. And everybody in here, everybody here has the ability to make a difference in people's life. That is the heart of a missionary. Created 7.8 billion people on the face of this earth. And he foreknew, he knew you, he knew me before he even put us in our mother's womb. And then it says that he knew every good work, he put it into us that we would accomplish before our average 78 years of life would be over. As I've traveled around the world, I'm humbled to think that we get 78 years of life. Just yesterday, I'm talking to one of the men that we work with in DR Congo. They might live to 50, 60 years of life. His sister was abducted. We have these dynamics where we oftentimes forget that we weren't just created so significantly so beautifully, so authentically, so perfectly, the very shape of our bodies, the very color of our skin, the very dynamic of who we are, we were intricately created by God and then placed in a dispensation. We're in the 21st century with the technology that we have, with the ability that we have, we weren't placed in the time of Christ. We weren't placed in the Middle Ages or the Renaissance or Reformation. We were placed here and we weren't placed anywhere other than the United States in California in Visalia. We're placed in a dispensation for such a time as this. Intricately known, definitively placed, and then appointed and anointed to go into dark spaces because we're light. We fear not because he puts faith in us. Our identity is in him. Our authority comes from him. We can move and have our being and have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control because he authorizes that for you and for myself. I'm humbled to be at a church called Grace Community Church. At 21, I realized what grace was and it set my life on a different trajectory. This young lady I met today, her name is Alyssa. You might know her, she's my hero. Listen to her story. Bruce Smith, he's my hero. He's always been able to love my kids. I was a principal for 25 years. I prayed, Lord, I wanna be a doormat at my father's house. But I gotta tell you something, I had no idea that I would be called to the mission field of public schools in America. I had no idea how much struggle, hurt, pain, anxiety, 
I had to trust like I never trusted before because I didn't read my first book till I was 19 years of age from cover to cover, Blue Highways, William Lee Heatman, Dr. Childs by Celia C.O.S. I finished that book and I realized that I had conquered something in my life. Even though I'm fifth generation educator and my dad was a coach and my dad was a teacher. And even though Mr. Barker's here today, he was my music teacher. I look at my life and I go, it's only by God's grace, grace community that I am where I am today. I wanna be a doormat at my father's house, and so I did. For 12 years I was a teacher, and for 12 years I was a principal. I got my dream job, and there I met David. David was in a class that I got to teach, because I told my civics teacher, I wanna get back in the classroom and do some pedagogy, work on my pedagogy, and work on my instruction. I want all this new stuff that you guys are learning, I wanna do, and you can evaluate me. I'll give you the pen. And so I say, I want this class, and I'm gonna teach leadership. David was there. The first class I had with David, big kid, six foot four, Hispanic, no eye contact. His disposition was uh, just kind of agitated, anxious all the time. I didn't know if I was, caught, I was the problem. I didn't know if there was another classmate or if it was a story of what happened coming into school that day. I just knew that David was not connecting. I did everything I could. I was creating an engagement. I was doing dynamics. I had kids working in small groups. We were doing a lot of fun team dynamics. All of a sudden, he leaves, and there's no affect. There's no like, hey, thanks for class. There was nothing. So the next class period, I positioned myself to where he cannot leave without going by me. I don't know how he got out of that classroom. Some kid took my attention, and he was by me that quick. I could not connect with David. One day, I'm out at the yard, and I'm doing duty, and I see him shooting a three-pointer, playing three-on-three basketball. I look at David, and I go, phenomenal shot, Dave. You just sunk a three-pointer. I had no idea you had that kind of a shot. He looked at me, and he goes, thanks, Mr. Raiden. First words I ever heard out of his mouth. Thanks, Mr. Raiden. So that day, I go, I'm pulling him in my office. So I bring him to my office. And I get my chair, I got this big, big chair. I'm a little overweight at the time, I got a big chair, 450 bucks, leather, it's beautiful, principal's chair. Call me, I said, Dave, sit in my chair. And I'm gonna sit on the other side of the desk. No, 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 Miss Brayden. I go, no, 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 you're the principal right now. You have all authority over the school. You are the man. Whatever you wanna do, you're the principal, right? I'm gonna listen to your story. He goes, what? I, go, I gotta hear your story. I wanna know your story. See, created, placed, appointed, anointed. I said, I gotta hear a story. He starts to tell me his story. And he just opens up, fourth grade. His dad comes home drunk, parents work in the fields. His dad's causing all sorts of chaos. He jumps on his dad's back. And because there's children in here, I wanna be very, very sensitive to all that. So I'll speak in generalizations. Basically, his father never came back into his life. He was done after that night. So Dave grew up working fields, being the man of the family. Wife never remarried and there's three other kids. Dave's at my school. He's got a lot of responsibilities on his life as a 17-year-old kid. David then finishes off the entire leadership class with me. I know his story. I know what he wants to accomplish in life. We talk about transformational leadership, and David says, Mr. Braden, I want you to push me. I want you to challenge me. See, great dream makers and educators will always push, not exasperate, but we're gonna push because we wanna structure success. We wanna get the right keys for the right individuals because they were created uniquely. Different learning modalities, different types of individuals need different types of things. I said, sounds like a plan, Dave. I'm gonna think about this, I'll get back with you. I get a phone call from my sister who lives in Visalia, who teaches in Tulare, and says, I need you to come speak to my kids at the end of the year and inspire them. If you don't know this, I used to be a chaplain, I used to be an inspirational speaker, and I've been a coach. And so she said, I want you to do one of those speeches where you inspire my sixth graders when they go on. I said, I can't do it. She goes, what do you mean you can't do it? I go, I can't do it unless my friend David, my student David, gets to speak. She says, all right. 
bring them. So we go out there. I'm at Tulare. I'm inspiring these sixth graders. I'm getting them all pumped up. I'm doing feats of strength. I used to do that. I'm doing all sorts of fun stuff with these kids. We're having fun. And I said, I got a special person for you I want you to listen to. His name is David. Would you welcome my friend and yours, David? David grabs the microphone. It's down here by his waist. He's nervous, deer in headlights. It wasn't just one sixth grade class. It was like the whole school. David's like, you didn't tell me about that, Mr. Braden. I said, you got this. I go, put the microphone up a little bit higher. So he puts it up. He talks. And he doesn't know where to go. I say, tell him about fourth grade. And he goes, in fourth grade, my dad. And he tells a story. And at the end of a 10-minute presentation, we're all done. We land the plane. And all the kids come up to David. 50 kids want his autograph. Well, David, on the way home, I give him a check. Didn't check with my wife. I give him a check. It's a pretty hefty check. A lot of money. A lot of money. And I gave it to him. I said, hey, you know, whenever you speak and you get paid for it, not like missionaries, whenever you speak and get paid for it, you're called a professional speaker. Homeboy, you're a professional speaker. You hit it out of the park. He goes, you think so, Mr. Braden? I go, I know so. And I'm so proud of you, son. Well, at the end of the year, graduation happens. And I'm commencement ceremony. I'm speaking to everybody. And all of a sudden, Dave comes up with his mom and his brothers and sisters and gives me a big hug and says, hey, Miss Brain, I want you to meet my family. And his mom, in broken English, says, thank you, Mr. Braden, for investing in my son. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I want to thank your son for investing in me. You have an amazing son. I love your son. Well, we finished that night. The lights are going down. My Jose Alvitas, my custodian, is about ready to shut it down. I'm about ready to leave the gate. All of a sudden, I hear this, Mr. Braden. I look, it's David, he's running to me. He comes up to me and he just collapses in my arms and he says, Mr. Raiden, with a broken voice, he goes, you're the father that I never had. I go, oh, you're a son that I've always wanted. And we embraced, you created uniquely. You get to be you, receive the grace and then the calling and the positioning and the placing and the anointing, you might be in a place in your life right now where you're like, I didn't want this dream, but God has assigned it for you. You're the doormat at your father's house and you're the hands extended. We get to be the hands extended. And today I'm humbled to know that that little thumbprint, that little fingerprint, that transcends. And that goes to generations because of people that don't try to be anybody other than who God has asked them to be, appointed and placed into dark places where they don't have fear, they have faith, and they become the love and the hope that they were called to be. There is a uniqueness about each of us, and each one of us has our time, talent, treasure, and our testimony to make a difference in this world. We all have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But it's how we choose to spend that time being on mission with God wherever we're at. We have missionaries all over the world. We have missionaries locally. We have missionaries in our homes. We have missionaries in our workplaces. When we think about what is a missionary, it's somebody who is being an ambassador for God. I, I look at the disciples and how vast and different they were. You think about Peter, and he was, he was a little bit emotional. He'd run a little high, run a little low, kind of all over the place. And yet Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And in fact, he's like, Jesus, I will go to my death with you. And then a few hours later, he denies him. And then Jesus, in all his graciousness, when he rose from the dead, said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. And after his ascension, Peter was the one who 
who preached one of the first messages and thousands came to know Jesus. And then you have people like Barnabas, a man of encouragement. I think about the difference of these two. Barnabas, here he is. When, when Saul had his Damascus experience and became Paul, it was Barnabas who came alongside him and installed him in with the other believers and said, I'm going to put my name behind this guy. You can trust him. He's one of us now. When they took John Mark on a missionary trip and, and Mark left halfway through and Paul was disgusted with him, it was Barnabas that was the bridge for Mark to enter back into ministry. He was an encouragement. He was a bridge builder. And then you see Stephen. The Bible says he was full of wisdom and of the spirit, and they chose him to run the food ministry. And he was the first martyr for Christ. All different people, different abilities, different talents, yet they all loved the same Lord. And they were all in with him 100%. Ten years ago, my husband and I were like, you know what, we... We want to do something. We want to make sure the rest of our life we are spending on mission with God. So we started this nonprofit in the midst of working and raising kids. We took every vacation that we had, every weekend that we had, and said, God, what is the heart cry of people that we can answer? So one of our first trips was to Cambodia. So back in 1975 through, through 79, there was a four-year period there where Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge came into the country and obliterated Two million people lost their lives because of his idea of what he thought would be a good society. Two million people. It left the country in, in a wreck. And you have these people trying to rebuild their lives afterwards, predominantly uh, Buddhist people. In fact, right now, there's only 2% Christians in the entire country of Cambodia. So two little people get off a plane, and we go into this area, Kampong Chenang, and we we find these villages. Now, these are like the villages that you see, you know, with the little huts and no running water. And we go into these villages, and by God's grace, we met with these pastors. And there was a group of them, and I'll never forget sitting at a dinner table with them. And I'd eaten my 16th meal of chicken and rice, chicken and <laughs> rice, chicken and rice. So I ate one more. And there was a group of men there, and they were talking about their heart for God and for their country. And there was this one young man to the side, and I went and sat next to him, and I know absolutely no Kumai, and he knows some English. So in his brokenness, he began to tell me of his heart. He's like, I live in a village of 900 people. I know Jesus, but they don't know him. They think I'm some weird person, but I have a heart. I have a heart for the kids in my village, and, and I have them come up to, to where I live. And again, it's just, it's just a hut, like just a portion of the stage. I have them come there. And I tell them, I will teach you English so you can have a better job. He says, but really, I tell them about Jesus. And he says, I want a school for them. I want a place for them to come. And my heart began to hear his heart. My heart began to see what he saw. My heart began to break for his kids in his village. And so we prayed and, and left. And six months later, came back and built him his first school. A place where these kids can come that's safe, where they can learn about Jesus. And on weekends, they use it for a church. And we brought in some running water for them because they would have to walk miles to get any kind of water. And it wasn't the cleanest water. And we're like, he, ha he needs to have a way to provide for his family. So we're like, we're going to do a tuk-tuk business for him. It's one of those little crazy motorcycles with 15 people on them and the little cart in the back. So he has a way to be able to provide for his family and then teach the kids. Kalvuti is his name. He's like, I want to make... I want to make my imprint, my thumbprint on the kids in my village. I'm going to think, what is it? 
What is it that is in the heart of the Father? The heart of the Father is to see and to hear the cries of the people around them. And he sends us to do his work for him. In Acts, there's a passage. In, in Acts 20, 24, it says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So several months ago, we left jobs that we loved and took a step of faith that was very uncomfortable. We sold everything we have, live in a little trailer because we're like, why not? Kids are all out of the house and we're like, okay, God, you tell me your heartbeat. You tell me what you see. You tell me what you hear. And that's where we're going to go. Every missionary that's represented here, I know in your hearts too, you're like, God, there's something that I'm alive for. I want to live with an eternal purpose that when I breathe my last breath, I will say I have finished the purposes that you have called me to do. So Denise lives in DR Congo, and she has HIV, and she's got four kids, and she'd been praying for years because she lives in a refugee camp. She'd been praying for years that she would actually um, have a home that'd be safe. My daughter got married three years ago and I call up my friend JP. I go, JP, I, I, I go, I gotta make sure that you're gonna walk my daughter down the aisle if I don't return from DR Congo. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, well, the State Department doesn't want me to go there, but we've heard the cry and we wanna respond and we wanna build our, our first home for a victimized woman. DR Congo is known as, the, there's another term, but it's the victimized, most victimized place in the world. It's one of the poorest countries at any given time. And I don't exactly blend in going into that country with 120 militias that are vying for the resources in those mines. And it's very unsafe. The United Nations has put more money into DR Congo and there's a perimeter. So if you can fly into Rwanda, which I did, you guys remember the Hutu and the Tutsi and that whole genocide that happened in the 90s. I flew in there, beautiful country now, and I fly, I mean, I drive all the way up to the border of DR Congo, and it's there then that I have to get into the perimeter of the United Nations. So it's a little risky. You know, I wouldn't take the kids. The kids are out of the house and stuff like that, and I'm like, I'm ready for heaven anyway. So we're going, and I'm ducking down in the car, and we're driving, and uh, I'm with these guys that I don't know. I had done a little upfront work on them, and so we finally get into the perimeter, and uh, I get into where the United Nations are, all the tanks and the helicopters and all the sea trains and all the United Nations personnel and soldiers and all that's going on, and I'm gonna meet Denise. The problem is, I'm not a builder, and the problem is I don't know a builder, and I don't know what we're gonna do, so it's just basically an informational trip. Well, what happens is, Denise had been foraging for wood one night, and she got victimized, and that's how she got the HIV, and she just, just this week, she lost one of her kids. And so she's lived in the most devastating, the devastating, just, we don't understand it, nor do we really want our kids or ourselves to understand it. We're so blessed, and we wanna keep it that way. We love the blessing of the Lord being in this country, this city, the state, thank you, Jesus, for this freedom that we have. But in that country, Denise had a cry, and that pain was deep, and we were able to get in there, and I met a child soldier when he was 12, went to a refugee camp, a German missionary, taught him woodwork. His name is Jacques, we call him Jack, and he built our first home for Denise inside the perimeter. I say all that to say, isn't it unique how God creates us and places us and gives us, equips us with the capacity that we need to be part of how the entire team works together for the cry of one. 
That's what's so amazing to me. You know, as, this, as the worship team comes forward, we're gonna close with a, with a worship song. I'm gonna do something that I don't know if this church has ever had done before. I felt it in my heart yesterday, I'm gonna do it. Because Timothy talks about encouraging, edifying, empowering, building one another up. I have a decree and a declaration over Grace Community. I've known you for almost my entire life. I've known many people that have been a part of this fellowship. Grace Community is a testimony. Faithful, faithful people. Salt of the earth, I'm looking at right now. If I could have all of you on my team at any given time, in my corner at any given time, humbled, taken to my knees. I'm like, I cannot believe the greatness of this local church. There's all sorts of life that happens. Flesh, spirit, we know what we live in. We know there's struggle. But there is a distinct this fellowship. And I wanna give a decree and a declaration over all of you that I wrote out and I'm gonna say it right now. But before I say it, it's like a prayerful declaration. But before I say it, I wanna say one last thing. Please. If you hear nothing else that I say, that my wife says, she's so articulate. I married the best. I love her, so proud of her. And she's mine, 27 years, family. If you hear nothing else, there's a God in heaven that loves us, that fights for us. My friend in New Jersey, who was a prostitute, said in my deepest, darkest moment, she goes, Scott, Cheryl, he was there with me. In my deep, deepest shame, my deepest pain, he's there for me. You know your God. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you are like going, I just, I need God to do a miracle in my life. I don't know your story, but I can tell you from the lips of my student, Sarah, who lost her life, of my gangsters, Jose, that have lost their life, of David, who is doing so fantastic in his own company right now, because of a love from the ecclesia, from the body of Christ, from a created individual that God breathed life into and said, you are divinely, distinctly created, placed, appointed, and anointed, and your hand of favor rests on you and all those that you bless. You do not have to fear evil. The kingdom that I came to give back to what was stolen belongs to you. Hear my prayer, hear my declaration, hear my decree, because I wanna honor the greatness of this church, of you, each one of you, and the heroes of our missionaries. Man, I wanted to be a missionary at 21. They're my heroes, I could just listen to them speak. I'm like, one day, I'm gonna be a missionary, not knowing that God would take 25 years of my life and give me a seminary and a boot camp and keep pruning and shaping and molding and breaking me to be the person that he wants me to be. And in the process, I get to be his hands extended to the cry of a student in a public school campus where all our kids today, all they wanna do is be able to trust somebody. You, Grace Community, can be trusted. You, Grace Community, need to be honored. You are the real deal. When I came back into Visalia today, my hometown, these are my peeps. And you know what? 
I'm the sum total of all the great people, Mr. Barker, Kathy Goulart, all the great people that I've rubbed shoulders with. Pastor Tim, Pastor, I'd love to speak like you. It's not my story, but I got the microphone now and I'm here to say God loves you. Would you please bow with me and receive every word that I've penned? Grace Community Church, you are a blessed people. You're a chosen people. You're a cherished people. You're a royal people. You've been positioned, appointed, and anointed for such a time as this. You hear the cries of those who are crying, the abandoned, the victimized, the hurt, the lost, and you hurt with them, and you've chosen to serve them. I declare you history makers, dream makers, image makers. You know your God. You believe he's able. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than what you can think or imagine. Missions are near and dear to your heart locally, nationally, internationally, you understand the mandate and the depth of mission-mindedness. You walk in great courage and boldness. You've been assigned to bring victory and light to the dark spaces and places on planet Earth. Each of you have eternal purposes stirring in your soul. Did you hear me, Alyssa? Each of you have eternal purposes stirring in your soul. All the pain will be brought to those in dark places because you bring healing from your pain. You bring God's love from your pain. To some, your divine dreams are gonna be revealed and actuated at the divinely appointed time. Be strong, wait for the Lord. It took me 25 years to live my dream. Be strong, wait for the Lord. To others, God has molded and shaped your dream. He's enlarged it and he's making it so big you don't even know what's gonna happen. Fix your eyes on him. He will show you the way. I declare that you, Grace Community Church, have a supernatural faith and that you're taking back territory that the enemy has stolen. Your young men and your women will do the seemingly impossible right here in this town because they truly believe with every fiber of their being that they can do all things through Christ. Their faith puts a smile on God's face. Your old men and your old women are gonna have renewed strength. They will live with an extraordinary vitality and a discernment and a compassion because they love deeply and they have experienced the love of the Heavenly Father. Young and old alike will walk away, will walk in the way of love and it will be this love that draws non-believers to repentance, transformation and life. The Lord would say to you, Grace Community Church, you've been assigned to walk in victory. Your mission projects and purposes are assigned. New undertakings will be revealed and actuated at the time I've divinely appointed. Existing mission projects and purposes will continue in exponential favor and impact. I declare that new ministries will be powerfully established and serve in the humility, creativity, and love of Jesus Christ. I declare that your spiritual leaders will have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the mouths to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit with regards to equipping and empowering ministries and missions. Your love, Grace, the testimony of your love, your unifying love is a testimony to your God. You have heard the cries. You've answered the call. God delights in you, Grace Community Church. 
You are sons and daughters of the living God. And in the name of Yeshua, I declare this over you and me. Amen. Bless you, my friends. I salute each and every one of you.